Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to His Word being preached. Matthew 6, we have the so-called Our Father. I just want to read, read it from Matthew 6 from verse 9 to about verse 15. It says, This then is how you should pray. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For, your, for, for if you forgive men uh, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And I just want to focus this morning on that, that phrase, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, <clears throat> we sometimes forget and underestimate how important forgiveness is in our lives. The quality of our relationships depends directly on our ability to both extend and receive forgiveness. And that is true for our relationship with God and for our relationship with one another. The reality is good people don't go to heaven. If we believe that, we would be like the Pharisees. We would just be moralists. You know, if, if, if at least you know, I make a certain standard of goodness, then I can make it into heaven. You know? I can come to heaven's gate. You know, Peter will confront me and say, okay, let's, let's see it. Let's see the record. I take out my CV, my track record, and, and Peter sort of scrutinizes me. Okay, fine. It's good enough. You can go in. It doesn't work like that. Because the reality is when we get to heaven's gate, none of us is going to have a track record that's good enough to qualify to get to heaven. Not a single one of us. <clears throat> it's not good people that go to heaven. It's forgiven people that go to heaven. Forgiven people. And the reality is, it's not only the quality of our relationship with God that, ex- that depends on forgiveness. It's also the quality of our relationship with one another. Any genuine, intimate relationship where the person is not just a slave or a robot that that just sort of a yes man that says yes, yes, you know, to whatever the other person says. But any relationship where the person is really authentically themselves, there needs to be regular forgiveness. <clears throat> Let's take marriage as an example. Um, when you're dating, you can still to some extent put your best foot forward. But when you get married and you live together, it's no longer feasible. <laughs> You've got to be yourself, you know. <laughs> At least some of the time. And the reality is, when when, when you're no longer just putting your best foot forward, when you yourself, we as ourselves, we're fallen, sinful, broken people. We're hurting people who hurt people. And we're not only going to have to extend forgiveness to our spouse, but we're also going to have to regularly receive forgiveness from our spouse. And the quality of our relationship does, will not depend so much on how good I am or how good she is, but on how gracious we both are. How gracious and how repentant we both are. And, and, and therefore, it's, it's, it's no surprise, no wonder that Jesus teaches repent about a few things. And, but, but, but do bear in mind that there are a lot of things I'm going to have to leave unsaid. Um, three things that this um, passage highlights 
to us about forgiveness and about our sin is number one, our sin is debt, our sin is daily, but then finally also our sin is dealt with. Okay, our sin is debt. Our sin, our sin is daily. In other words, it, it, it shows us the scope of our sin. Our sin is debt. It shows us the nature of our sin. But our sin is also dealt with. So it shows us the solution to our sin and to the problem. So let's just look at that quickly. Our sin is daily. Um, if you look in verse uh, 11, it says, just before it says, forgive us our debts, it says, give us today our daily bread. Now that, that phrase, give us today our daily bread, tells us a little bit about when we're supposed to pray this prayer. We're supposed to pray this prayer daily because we need daily bread. We need daily provision. And what this is saying is, is on the one hand, it says we need daily provision, we need daily bread, and we need to daily pray for that bread. But then in the very next verse, it says, forgive us our debts. So just like we need daily bread, we need daily forgiveness. Just like we need daily bread, we need daily forgiveness. Every day we need forgiveness, which, which shows us, if we need daily forgiveness, it shows us the extent of our sin, the extent of what we are and who we are. Um, on the one hand, notice it says um, in, in verse 5, let me just quickly read that, it says, uh, Matthew 6 verse 5 says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. Notice it says when you pray. Not if you pray. When you pray. Um, the reality is we, number one, we, we daily fail to do the right things or to do things right. Daily. There are certain things that we're supposed to do regularly, daily. Prayer is just one example. When you pray, not if you pray, when you pray. We're supposed to pray daily because daily we're dependent on God and our prayer life is supposed to be an expression of that dependence on God. But very often we fail to do that. We fail to do the right thing, like pray. But, but also the, what that verse says is not only do we fail to do the right thing, but we fail to do things right. Even when we pray, sometimes we're like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, not to express our dependence and our love for God, but to be seen by men. So, so often, even when we do the right things, we do it for the wrong reasons. Even when we do the right things, we do it in the wrong way. So not only don't we, do we fail to do the right things, but we fail to do things right. But then also, um, we daily do the wrong things. Or do things wrong. Daily. I mean, not a day goes by when we do not do certain wrong things. In other words, what, if I can sum that up, we often speak about sins of commission, things that you do when you do the wrong things, and sins of omission, things that you fail to do that you're supposed to do. And let me just give you one example. Just in the previous chapter, it says... Um, Matthew 5, verse, verse 43, it says, And you have heard that it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That, that's not, that doesn't sound that difficult to do. You know? it's, it's easy to, to love the people you like and hate the people you hate. You know? <laughs> so that's what, what, what the Pharisees and stuff were teaching. And that's why, notice it doesn't say, It is written, love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. It says, you have heard it said. 
That is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the, the, the teachers of the law were teaching based on their interpretation of the Scripture. And Jesus is saying, the interpretation of the Scripture is wrong. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But then he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And um, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that, but be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Can you see the standard there? If we understand the standard of perfection, perfectly loving people, even when they don't love us, we see that the scope of our sin is such that we sin every day. Daily we fail to love people all the time. Daily. And then we're not surprised. We, if we see that, if we see, I mean, the reality is we minimize our sin because we're guilty of it. You know, how do you fight the evil when the evil is inside, you know? When, 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 I mean, we see this all the time. I mean, it's, it's so you know, blatantly obvious in something like politics. Um, when someone has a vested interest in something, they're not partial. Like they, they're not impartial. They're partial. They, 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 they're not fair or accurate in their judgment. Um, and that's why, for instance, uh, the previous public protector, uh, Tuli Maroncella, said that President Jacob Zuma cannot appoint the judge who must lead the judicial inquiry because he's implicated in it. Now, the reality is we're like President Zuma. We're implicated. <laughs> we cannot judge ourselves rightly. And therefore, if you're implicated in something, then you tend to minimize and play down what you're guilty of. We don't think, we, we sometimes think that God's judgment and God's view on sin is too harsh and too intense. But it's because we have been desensitized to the evil of it. We're so used to it. Not only because people all around us committed and sometimes committed against us, but because we ourselves committed on a daily basis. On a daily basis. But when we see be perfect as God is perfect, then we realize that Daily, we are guilty of sin of commission, doing the wrong things, but also of omission, not doing the right things. And um, we need daily forgiveness. So we need forgiveness not only of the de deeds that we do, but also of, the word, of our words and our thoughts. Let me just read you um, two more um, passages in, in, in Matthew 5. Verse 21 says, And you have heard it said uh, to the people long ago, Do not murder and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And then verse 27 says, And you have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within his heart. So not only our, our, our words, our deeds, but our words and our thoughts are sinful. So, the, the problem and the scope of sin is a lot bigger. But, but not only the scope for us personally, but also for us corporately. Notice it doesn't say forgive me my sins as I've forgiven those who have sinned against me. It says forgive us. Everyone is guilty. 
Everyone falls short of God's perfect standard. No one can be perfect as the Heavenly Father is, is perfect. So, so we, ha- we have a bit of a problem there. Our sin is daily. The scope of it is quite extensive. But also, our sin is debt. Um, the word it uses there, it says, forgive us not our sins or f- forgive us our trespasses. It says, forgive us our debts. And the word there is a financial word. Um, let, me, let me maybe read you just one example of where it's used in a different place in, in the New Testament, just so you can sort of get a feel for what the word means. In Romans 4, verse 4, it says, Now when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. When someone works, I mean, it's like when you work, you work hard in the, in the, in the, uh, you know, during the month, and at and, and, and the end of the month, you see your, 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 your salary being paid into your bank account. You don't go, oh, you know, my employee is so generous, you know. I can't believe he actually paid me. No, you expect it, you know. Because you worked hard. You deserve it. What, what you work for is not credited as a gift. You're not, you know, it, it, it's, it's an obligation. And that word obligation is the same word, debt, that is used here. Forgive us our debt. Forgive us our obligations. Forgive us what is owed to uh, what is what we owe? Forgive us that. It's a it's a um, a financial word. I just want to read you a, a little passage. Um, it tells us a lot about sin, what sin is, and how it works. Let me just get this. Um, here we go. I just want to read this. Um, this is by um, Timothy Keller, and I think he explains it very nicely. So just listen to this carefully. If, so, if there's a debt that needs to be, pay, to be paid, then someone has to pay it. And whenever a sin is committed, there's always a debt that is incurred, a liability, an obligation that always needs to be paid. Either the person that sinned against you is going to pay it, or you're going to have to absorb that that cost, that payment yourself, and effectively paid yourself. So listen to this. When speaking of forgiveness, Jesus uh, uses the image of debts to describe the nature of sin. When someone seriously wrongs you, there's an absolutely unavoidable sense of uh, that the wrongdoer owes you. The wrong has incurred an obligation, a liability, a debt. Anyone who has been wronged feels a compulsion to make the person the other person pay down, pay back the debt. We do not, we do do this by hurting them, yelling at them, making them feel bad in some way or other, or, or just waiting and watching and hoping that something bad happens to them. Only after we see them suffer in some commensurate way or some equal way, um, comparable way, do we sense that the debt has been paid and the sense of obligation is gone. This sense of debt or liability or or obligation is impossible to escape. Anyone anyone who denies it, that it exists, has simply not been wronged or sinned against in any serious way. What then is forgiveness? Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from one who has harmed you. But it uh, must be recognized that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. Think about it in monetary uh, uh, terms. If a friend breaks a lamp, my lamp, and if my lamp costs fifty dollars uh, to replace, then the act of lamp breaking incurs a debt of fifty dollars. If I let him pay for and replace the lamp, I get my lamp 
back and he's out, he's, he's uh, short $50. But if I forgive him for what he, what he did, the debt does not somehow vanish into thin air. When I forgive him, I absorb the cost of the payment of the lamp. Either I pay the $50 to replace it, or I will lose the light in that room, the lighting in that room. To forgive is to cancel a debt by paying it or absorbing it yourself. Some, someone always pays every debt. This is the case in all situations of wrongdoing. Even when my money is, invo- uh, is involved, even when no money is involved, when you are sinned against, you lose something, perhaps happiness, reputation, peace of mind, a relationship, or an opportunity. There are two things to do about a sin. Imagine, for example, that someone has hurt your reputation. You can try to restore it by paying the other person back, voicing public criticisms and ruining his or her reputation. Or you can forgive the one who wronged you, refuse payback, and absorb the damage to your reputation, in which case you will have to, over time, restore your own reputation. Does that make sense? Can you see why Jesus uses the word debt to describe our wrongdoings and our sins? There's always a cost that is incurred. There's always a debt that needs to be paid. So, um, there's also the reality that some debts are greater than others um, in two ways. You know, debt can be stacked up. Think about it this way. All of our sins that we commit, we commit, let me rather put it this way, some of our sins are committed against other human beings. Actually, not that many, but, but quite a few. And, and, and the more time we spend with someone, the more we sin against them, right? <laughs> because the more opportunity we have to sin against them. Just, want you to, just, just think for a moment, who is the person, the human being that you sin against most in your life? Or let's rather put it this way. Who is the human being that you have sinned against most in your life? For most of us, there's someone that we can usually think of that that is. But where some of our sins are committed against human beings, all of our sins are committed against God. So where our sins against humans can incur a possibly payable debt, a debt that you can actually pay back if you wanted to, our sin against God since childhood, is so great and has been compounded over time so much that it's become an unpayable debt. There's no way we can pay back the debt that we owe God. It's an unpayable debt. It's just too much. It's just too big. But, but add to that the reality that the debt incurred is also directly, directly proportional to the greatness of the person that you sin against. Think of it in this way. If I walk up to young George and I'm really nasty and mean and I slap him in the face in front of you all, I mean, that would be a sin, right? Doing violence to my brother, okay? But, you know, I I might not, I might get off relatively easy. But if I walk up to Donald Trump or the Queen of England and I slap them in the face, What's going to happen? <laughs> I don't think I'm going to come off that easy, right? Because they occupy a really high office. Now, that's, that's maybe a silly example, but take that and multiply it by a few million or gazillion to get to, the, to, to how great God is. 
And then you realize how great the sin is that we commit against him because that is how great he is. So not only do is every sin that we commit against God, but every sin that we commit against God is infinitely great because God himself is infinitely great. Can you see why it becomes an unpayable debt? Um, and so our, our horizontal debts are sometimes to some extent payable, but our, our vertical debt towards God never is. Now, one of the things I just want you to see about this is in order to receive forgiveness, we must take responsibility for our debts. We cannot deny them. We have to admit them. We have to say, I take responsibility for my sin. In other words, um, repentance or confession is not rationalizing. It's not just um, regret or remorse. So, so, so repentance does not sound like this. Dear Lord, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for getting so irritated with people, but, but you know how hard I work and how little I sleep, you know. So, you know, or, or, or Lord, I'm sorry for being so critical, but, but it's you who gave me the, the, the gift of discernment, you know, to see all the things that are wrong in the world. Or, or, or Lord, um, <laughs> for, forgive me for, for, for lying to so-and-so, but they really put me in an impossible position by asking me that question in front of everyone. Is that repentance? No. That's rationalizing. And also repentance is not just regret or remorse. It's not just feeling sorry for myself about how I now have to suffer as a consequence of my sin. Or I don't like the consequences or the judgment on my sin and therefore I feel sorry for myself. And now I'm going to repent or say I'm sorry. But it's only really because I've been caught. And because I don't like the consequences of being caught. In other words, repentance is not self-centered. It's God-centered. I must repent because um, I've sinned against God. In other words, repentance or asking forgiveness is not primarily a demand for dismissal of the charges. It's a guilty plea. It's a saying, Lord, I plead guilty. I stand before you and I take responsibility and I plead guilty for what I've done. I take responsibility for it. I, I stop denying it. I stop explaining it away or justifying it. But it's also not a, a resolve, primarily a resolve to reform. It's not, repentance is not primarily saying I'm going to do better in future. Of course we should do better in the future and we should try and do better in future. But that's not what repentance is. That's something that could and should follow on repentance, but it's not repentance. What is repentance? It's a gamble on grace. It's not a demand for dismissal or a resolve to reform. It's a gamble on grace. When you go to someone and repent towards them, you are saying, I am guilty. I'm asking you to extend grace to me. I'm asking you to absorb the debt that I now owe you because of the sin I've committed against you. I'm asking you to, to, to show grace. And that's what I mean when I say not only is our sin daily and not only is our sin a debt, but our sin is also dealt with. You see, not everyone is entitled to forgiveness. Really? Yes, no, <laughs> of course not. Just because if you've wronged someone and you go to them and say, forgive me, they don't have to say, yes, of course I forgive you. They don't have to. They're under no obligation to. 
Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. You know, whatever the extent, it wouldn't be grace. You don't have to forgive them. God doesn't have to forgive us. We are not entitled to forgiveness. Have you ever thought about that? That's important to realize. Because we come from a country with a Christian background, so our thinking has been very Christianized. So we of, I've, I've often heard people say, but, you know, they sin willfully, you know, blatantly, and they say, no, but God will forgive me. That's his job, isn't it? I've heard that many times, dozens of times. God is in the business of forgiveness. He's supposed to forgive me. That's his work. That's his job description. Doesn't it say so in the Bible? No, it actually doesn't. Not everyone is entitled to forgiveness. What's it say? If you forgive other people their sins, your heavenly Father will forgive you your sins. Forgiveness is only for those who can call God Father. It's only for those who can call God Father. It's not for everyone. Let me put it this way. Um, father, the word Father implies a firstborn, right? I, just, I, I realized this this week when Kirsten came to me and said, I made you a father. <laughs> yeah, just put up, put up the, 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 the picture, the little family photo on, on, on the screen, um, Dan, just the, the very first slide. There we go. Kirsten's my daughter, our eldest. She's nine years old, turning 10 in January. And Justin is seven, and, and Ethan is one and a half. And she came very proud of herself, and, and she'd realized that she had made me a father. And she was right. I realized that, yeah, you know, she's right. Before she, Kirsten came along, I wasn't a father. As my firstborn, Kirsten made me a father. So the word father always implies a firstborn. And then as the firstborn, she shared me very, you know, generously <laughs> and graciously shared me with her two brothers. <laughs> she shared her father <laughs> with her brothers. <laughs> but she made me a father. And likewise with God the Father, there must be a firstborn who made him a father who is the one who shared him as father with the rest. But it goes further. Whereas Justin and Ethan were actually, you know, my children by birth, genetically, we are not God's children um, in the same sense by natural birth. We are through spiritual birth and adoption, his children. Now when, in the, in the olden days, uh, and I presume it's still true today, uh, adoption was very common, you know, when, when people didn't have children. When, say when a rich person, a rich man, even like a Caesar, there are examples of, of Caesars who didn't have children. And, they, and then they didn't have an heir, someone who could inherit their, you know, all their riches. Then they would adopt someone into, into their family. But here's the thing. If the, the person, the child that that person adopted had certain debts on their name, against their name, the father who adopted them would adopt their debts. The father who adopted them, took them into his family, would take that debt upon them and actually take it upon not only the father, but the rest of the family to pay those debts. Can you see now what God did and why it says your heavenly father can forgive you if he's your heavenly father? Because when we were adopted into his family, he took all of our debts upon himself and upon his family. 
And then he sent his firstborn, who made him a father, <laughs> to come and pay all of the debts that were against us, that were in our name. On Friday, um, Lauren and Stefan took us to go and watch a movie, Only the Brave. Uh, it was actually quite a good movie, a bit of a tearjerker. Um, uh, it was a good movie. It's a movie about this group of firefighters, not, not like um, firefighters in, 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 in the city, but in the felt, you know, when, when these big felt fires come, uh, these massive wildfires, they go and they, they send these teams in, you know, these hot shots, as they call and um, it was interesting. These guys never personally used water that I could see in the movie to fight the fires. You know what they used to fight the fires? Fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes you had the helicopter flying over, the plane flying over, you know, and dropping water. But these guys, they didn't have a fire engine with water in it. They had stuff to light fires with. And what they would do when there was this big, this massive fires, they would go sort of a way back, dig a trench, clear an area, and then they'll light a fire that'll burn towards the fire and burn all the vegetation, all the, the dry grass and, and the trees and stuff between them and the fire and burn up this open space because two different fires cannot burn over the same area. Even if, if a certain area has already been burned, then there's no more fuel. And do you realize that that is what Jesus did for us? He took the fire of God's judgment and burnt open a clearing for us. So that the fire of judgment can never burn over us again. I heard a story once of a, of a um, family, um, farmers walking in the felt. I think it was the, the mom and dad and their children. And they saw this felt fire as they were coming around the, sort of a, the foot of a mountain, and, and the wind was driving it and, it, and they realized there's no way they're going to outrun it. So the father was scratching around in his pockets and got the matches, and he did that. He started lighting you know, stuff around them and, and burned up an open clearing, and then they walked into the middle of this scorched area, and the fire burned around them. And they were safe. And that's what Jesus came to do. He took, came and took the fire for us so that we wouldn't have to take it. He came and took the judgment for us, so that we didn't have to. You cannot, you cannot um, I mean, even in financial terms, we said sin is debt. You ca cannot, the same debt cannot be paid twice. It can only be paid once. It's illegal for it to be paid twice. Now, Jesus has already come and he's already paid our debts. No debt collector can come and break your legs and say you still owe a debt. It's already been paid. It's already been dealt with. That's the good news. But not only has my debt been paid, but also the debt of young George who has sinned against me has been paid. I cannot now be the debt collector who comes to him and says, you owe me, when Jesus has forgiven his debt. He's paid his debt as much as he's paid my debt. Can you see that? That's why it says, you know, if you've been forgiven, you need to forgive. You need to forgive. But isn't it the gospel amazing that the one who owes no debts comes and he pays our debts, our unpayable debt against him and against one another, so that we can extend and receive forgiveness and live free from all of those obligations. 
In those days, if you had a debt, if someone owed you a debt and they couldn't pay it, you would take that person to the slave market. You would sell them and their entire family and all they had as slaves to repay at least some of the debt that they owed you. And so often we still try and do that today. We take one another to the slave market. The problem is you were, you were a slave on the slave market. Beware of going back to the slave market when that is the place from which you were bought. Because the, your creditors might come and take you and say, Ah, oh, you're back. Now we can get back our money that you owe us. Let us forgive one another. And let us receive the forgiveness that God has for us. And as generously as we've been forgiven, let us forgive one another. Amen? Let's stand. Just to sum up, we can pray and we do pray for forgiveness because our daily debt has already been dealt with by Jesus Christ, our older brother. He paid everything that we owed to one another and to him. And that's why we can daily pray, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Yes, Father, we just want to come to you in Jesus' name, and we want to thank you that you are such a gracious God. Lord, if you had not paid our debts, we would be slaves for eternity. We would never be free. We would never be able to get rid of our guilt and our shame. We would never be able to live the lives that you called us to live. And we thank you in Jesus' name that you have come and at great cost to yourself. That you have come, that you became poor so that we can be made rich. That you paid in the, the greatest currency available to you, paid in your own precious blood. The debt that was written against us and you nailed it to the cross the debt against you and the debt against one another and thank you that we can come to you now and just say father forgive us for we've sinned against you forgive us our debts as you're standing there this morning i just want to give you an opportunity firstly maybe you thought that God owed you forgiveness. But now you realize that, that you must first be adopted into his family before that forgiveness becomes available to you. You need to be adopted as his, as his child, as his son or his daughter. And then that forgiveness becomes available to you. Maybe you realize how guilty you are, how great the debt is that you owe him this morning. And if you realize that and you... And you want to respond and you want to say, Father, I want to, I want to actually become part of your family. I want to be adopted into your family. I want, I want this, the blood of your son. I want it to be paid on my behalf. If that's you this morning, I just want you to put up your hand and say, that's me. I, I realized this morning that I need to be saved. I've been trying to get to heaven on, on my good works on my track record and I realize that I need someone else's track record if I want to get to heaven. 
if that's you this morning, just quickly put up your hand and say, that's me. I want to take that step. I want to become part of God's family. Just put up your hand and wave it at me. I just want to pray with you if there's anyone like that. Thank you for that at hand. Is there anyone else who says, I need you to pray with me, Eddie? Just quickly put up your hand. Okay, thanks. You can put down your hand. Then I also just want to say, so often we try and make up for things that we do wrong to one another or to God. Let's accept. That's actually an insult to Jesus because we, we fail to accept what he has done. We actually say, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't want this payment. I'll pay myself. If there's any sin in your life that the Holy Spirit has been convicting you of during this service, I just want you to close your eyes. Whether it's a sin of commission or a sin of omission, I just want you to close your eyes. And if you're a child of God, just bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for sinning against you. I accept that the payment you've already made is enough. Jesus, that you paid for all our sins, not only for the ones that we have committed or are committing, but the ones that we're also going to commit. Thank you, Lord, that you've paid the debt and that the debt collectors cannot come to us and extract payment from us because you've made full payment. Thank you that we can now be forgiven and we receive that forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, one last thing I want to say. When we understand that we're part of God's family and He has paid the price and He has forgiven our debts, we repent and we try and change. We, we feel sorry, we repent and we try and change. But we don't do it out of fear or in order to try and earn forgiveness. We don't repent because we broke God's law. We repent because we broke His heart. If God is your father, you will love him so much that you, you won't want to sin against him. When you do, you'll come back crying like a little child and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But your motive for not sinning or for trying to live a holy life changes from one of fear of punishment to one of love towards God the Father. So let's... Let's have that motivation in our hearts as we live this week for in obedience to the Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Johannesburg. May the grace you received produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.